I don't know that this is really the history of uh, all independent Baptists, but this is my history, how I got involved in missions, how the Shady Acres Baptist Church got involved in missions. And so uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. If you study the book of Acts, you find that the Holy Ghost comes within you when you get saved. He comes upon you to give you power for service. And when he's come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In 1845, the Southern Baptist left the Northern Baptist over the issue of slavery. And they split. And fast forward to 1914. There was a man born named Lester Roloff. And Brother Lester Roloff had a great burden for missions and helping girls who were in trouble, boys who were in trouble, men who had alcohol and drug addictions, and started the roll-off evangelistic enterprises. In uh, 1951... He started pastoring the Second Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas at the age of 37 years. He left the Southern Baptist Convention in 1956. That was five years after he started pastoring a Southern Baptist Church. He left the Southern Baptist Convention primarily over three issues. One was the King James Bible. The Southern Baptists began to promote other translations. And the rural areas stayed King James for a long time. But the cities began to change. And over time, it even the rural areas changed. But he left the Southern Baptist Convention over the issue of the King James Bible being the Word of God and the others being inferior translations. The second issue that he left the convention over was standards. The Southern Baptists began to teach their young preachers in their Southern Baptist seminaries that the way you change the standards in your church when you become pastor is you have your wife to start wearing pants on Wednesday night. Only on Wednesday night. And after you've done that for about six months, maybe a year, depending on how it's received, then she starts wearing them to church on Sunday night. And after you've done that six months to a year, then, depending on how that's received, she can start wearing them on Sunday morning. Over the years, it completely changed the standards of Southern Baptist churches. And Brother Roloff did not think that was appropriate. And that was the second reason. So it was the King James Bible. It was standards of separation. And the third issue was missions. How to get the gospel in all the world. And the Southern Baptists primarily took they called it uh, Lottie Moon offerings, Annie Armstrong offerings, once or twice a year. That would be their big push for missions. And they would put that missions money into the cooperative program. The cooperative program would support the missionaries. So the churches never actually met any missionaries. The administrative part of the cooperative program decided what missionaries they would support, how much they would support them, and statistics showed back in the 70s, I haven't researched it since then, but back in the 70s, the missionaries were actually getting 6% of the mission money that was being given through the Southern Baptist churches. 
6%. Well, you say, where was the rest of the money going? They were putting it in Texaco stock. And I don't know if you work trade in the stock market or not, but you won't even find Texaco stock listed anymore. There is no Texaco stock. They put millions and millions and millions of dollars in Texaco stock. And instead of sending more missionaries, that money just started evaporating. You know, we're supposed to put our treasure where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves can't break through and steal. But that missions money by the millions disappeared. So Brother Roloff had a problem with the King James Bible issue. He had a problem with standards of separation, how people began to change the way they dressed. And he had a problem with missions money being taken up and not getting into the hands of the missionaries. And included in that 6% was what they called area missionaries. That was usually retired preachers Brother Wood always said who couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper sack. So they couldn't preach good enough to pastor a church. They couldn't preach good enough to teach in the seminary. So they made them area missionaries, which meant they went around to the Southern Baptist churches to make sure everybody was contributing to the cooperative program and that if a young preacher was there, that he was preaching uh, the way the Southern Baptists wanted him to be preaching at the time area missionaries, kind of the Southern Baptist Gestapo of old, worn-out preachers who couldn't preach. But they sure did like being in charge of something. Brother Roloff left them because of that. And my father-in-law, Brother Jack Wood, went to Tennessee Temple University in Chattanooga or went to the Bible Institute in Chattanooga, Tennessee Temple Bible Institute. And while he was there, the Aka Indians murdered Jim Elliott when he tried to take them the gospel. And when Elizabeth Elliott came and told that story at Tennessee Temple, Mr. and Ms. Wood were in the service when they gave the invitation, they went forward and said, if you want us to go to Ecuador, here am I, send me. We'll go take Jim Elliott's place. And from that day, God put his hand on Brother Wood to have a burden for missions. They broke their box at that invitation and said, here's our life. Take it and use it to get the gospel to the regions beyond. So Brother Wood had a great burden for missions. Then in 1963, he went to Paraguay, South America, lived there for three years, worked with some with the Guarani Indians who were in Paraguay. And uh, my wife, so she lived there for three years and learned Spanish and some Guarani, she would interpret for her dad as he would go out into the jungle and, and they would rope wild cattle and that's how they would feed the families that went. They actually went there to build a fence around a million acres in the jungle of Paraguay. And it took them three years to get that done, in case you ever need to know how long it takes to build a fence around a million acres. And... Uh, Got that done. After three years, he came back to America, moved to Georgia. And uh, God was telling him to go back to Houston. And he didn't want to go back to the big city. So a horse fell on him and broke his back. And he said, Lord, I'll go back to Houston. But I can't get up. How do I do it? <laughs> so it was several months. He drug himself around on crutches. He didn't even go to the doctor even though we had a broke back. When he finally did go to the doctor, the doctor said, well, this is pretty amazing. He said, what have you been doing? And he said, oh, I've just been dragging myself around on these crutches. He said, everything has lined up perfectly. He said, usually when people break their back, if they don't go get it fixed, 
nerves get pinched, all kind of problems develop, he said, but your back has lined up perfectly. He said, I'm going to suggest you keep doing what you're doing. We're going to leave that back alone. So he moved to Houston, started a church, and uh, or he, he got called as the pastor of the Shady Acres Baptist Church through some circumstances where uh, the church was under the control of three men, the pastor, the treasurer, and a roofing contractor. Most churches have one to three men who are in control. And to do a work for God, usually those men have to be taken out of control. Now people don't like to hear that, but I'm telling you if you're going to do a work for missions, you can't let people who want to hang on to the money be in control. And so there was an elderly lady named Ms. Sides there at Shady Acres Baptist Church. And Ms. Sides had a burden for ghetto children. She would go into these trailer parks and apartment projects and she would bring little children to church in her station wagon. And uh, the pastor didn't want her bringing these ghetto kids into the church because they were, you know, kind of wild and crazy and kick holes in the sheetrock and flush brushes down the toilet and all that kind of fun stuff. So she had what she called sidewalk Sunday school classes out in the parking lot. And she would teach those children the Bible while everybody else was in the church. She never got bitter. She never got a bad attitude. But she did pray and say, Lord, I'd really like for these children to get to go in the, the real church. And uh, so if you would help me with that. So God gave the pastor a heart attack. And he died. And they were looking for another pastor. They called another man. Went through the same process again. Miss Side said, you know, can I bring the children in? Uh, no, those kids are from the ghetto. They're kind of wild and uncontrollable. And So God gave him a stroke. He had mercy on him. He didn't kill him. But he couldn't talk because of the stroke. So they had to look for another pastor. That's when they called Jack Wood to be the pastor. Miss Sides went to him. Can I bring the children in? Well, sure, bring them in. Bring them all in. She said, now they're going to... They're pretty wild. They may kick holes in the sheetrock and flush things down the toilet. Oh, he said, that's what I got Brother Danny for. He can fix all that. <laughs> so, Miss Side started bringing them in there. And by the way, we did have, we, we had two missionaries that went out of Shady Acres that grew up in Miss Side's sidewalk Sunday school classes. And, uh, that's sort of how Shady Acres, okay, so that took care of the pastor, still had the treasurer and the roofing contractor, so Brother Wood had a first missions conference at Shady Acres, had it the week of Thanksgiving, uh, he said because these people were winning to the Lord, you know, they've been on drugs, they've been on alcohol, they don't have Thanksgiving family stuff because they're the black sheep of the family, so he said they're getting saved now. They can come to the church, we'll have a big Thanksgiving meal, and we're going to have a missions conference the week of Thanksgiving. He did that, and he invited a bunch of Mexican preachers to come up from Mexico, and he gave them all the church's money for coming to the conference that these men, these three men had guarded so carefully all those years and had accumulated money. He gave it all away. When they got back from deer hunting, which is what they did the week of Thanksgiving, all the church's money was gone. They went crazy. Brother Wood's dad was in that church. Everybody called him Papa Jack. I called him Grandpa because he's my wife's grandpa. And uh, one of those men came down the aisle and literally raised his fist and said, I will knock you out of that pulpit for giving our money to all those Mexicans. But when he got down even with Papa Jack, he just took his watch off. And when the guy got even to him, he just stood up and boom, knocked him underneath the pew. Now, I'm not recommending that. I'm just giving you the history, okay? 
You know, we live in a time that people don't even want history to be accurate anymore. If it, if it doesn't appeal to them, they just change the history in the history books so that it appeals to them. So I asked him one time, I said, Papa, why, why did you hit that man? He said, because the only thing the flesh understands is the flesh. He said, you can quote them scripture all day long and it won't even touch them. He said, but one left hook to the jaw and they get the message. I'm talking about how we got started with missions in the Shady Acres Baptist Church. Well, there was still one more of those guys. And he got mad because Grandpa knocked his buddy out and had some words with him out in the parking lot. So he just gave him the same treatment over the hood of a car and underneath the car next to it is where he landed. Now, Papa Jack was not a big man. He was about five foot six, 190 pounds. But he worked on the Houston market and got into a fight every single day. He loved it. He loved it. It's just what he, he would have loved your message. He loved to fight. And every day on the market, somebody's going to try to cheat him. It'd be unloading peaches off of one truck into another truck. And somebody, they're counting, you know, they're both counting. And in a little bit, you know, Papa Jack's got, you know, 250 bushels. And the other guy would say, no, you have, we hadn't put 250, it's been 230. No, I've been counting them, it's 250. He said, well, I'm only paying you for 230. Bam! When he woke up, he'd say, are you ready to pay the 250 or are you still going to insist on 230? The guy knew he was trying to cheat Grandpa, but he didn't want to admit it. He said, well, I think you're cheating me, but I'll pay you for the 250. He knew how many it was. Those men do that every single day. But they were not used to getting a left hook to the jaw as soon as the discussion got started good. You say, what does that have to do with missions? It has everything to do with missions because we've given approximately somewhere between 25 and 30 million dollars to missions since that missions conference that the deer hunters did not attend. And that set the course for the Shady Acres Baptist Church to give all that money to missions and do what we're doing by the grace of God and for the glory of God to this day. We have made missions the highest priority in the Shady Acres Baptist Church. Getting the gospel to the regions beyond. And I will save the rest of my time for the next question. Second one is how is the Shady Acres Baptist Church trying to get the gospel into all the world? I'll repeat that. How is the Shady Acres Baptist Church trying to get the gospel into all the world? Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. And verse number 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time. Now this is Mordecai talking to Esther. The decree has gone out. Kill all the Jews. Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth? whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? I believe we're living in the most exciting days in history of getting the gospel in all the world. The technology, the transportation, 
We got the King James Bible. It's the greatest of all times to get the gospel to the regions beyond because of those opportunities that were given. I've been getting text messages on my phone for the last 24 hours, pictures and videos of the Vacation Bible School in Romania. I mean, their people are excited about it. They're having a great time. Missions becomes real when you actually go there and see what God can do in the lives, uh, whether it's children, whether it's adults, whether it's preachers. I mean, I was, I was over there in Romania a few months ago myself and to see those men that I'd taught 25 years ago and they had their sons who'd been saved and called to preach and they were in their 20s and they were there wanting me to teach them what their fathers had learned 25 years ago. What, what exciting times, what precious memories, what joy unspeakable and full of glory to see what God has done over the last 25 years and how it just seems like more doors are opening than we can possibly get through. And all you got to do if you want to help is get a passport. You don't have to move to Houston to help. You don't need to move to Houston. We live in a day of technology. You don't have to leave your church, go to some other church to do something for God. All you got to do is say, how can I be involved? Amen. But you got to have a passport. Okay, I don't know if you'll ever have to again, but for a while you had to have COVID shot. That eliminated a lot of people. But if you want to get involved and get in missions, getting the gospel in all the world, the opportunities are endless two widow women in our church one of them 69 I know because she was born the same month as my wife the other one in her 60s don't know exactly they're over there having the time of their life Amen. their husbands are gone so they can't tell them they can't go that's what keeps a lot of ladies from being involved in missions. Their husband has to have somebody to bring him his coffee every morning. He's so selfish and helpless, he'd rather the whole world go to hell than for his wife to leave for a week. Go ahead. Oh, I could. I just believe it or not, I'm just easing into that. I've never seen such selfish adults in my life that don't want any interruption into their lifestyle and their schedule. They don't want to have to do anything for themselves. When my wife goes on a missions trip, we have 12-year-old twin grandsons that during school year, one of us has to go pick them up from school because their daddy works a job. He's a welder. He can't go to work, then take off and go pick them up from school when school lets out and then try to go back to his job because it's our drive one way for him from his job to get the boys at school. So my wife or I, one, have to pick these two boys up at school every school day. So a lot of people try to book me for a meeting. No, I can't come then. Uh, you already got a meeting? No, I don't have a meeting. Well, then why can't you come? Well, because my wife has a meeting. Well, what's that got to do with you coming down? Well, I got to pick up my grandsons from school at 2.40, Monday through Friday. They don't understand. But you know what it is? Sometimes you just do what you got to do. Amen. Me or her one can go but we can't both go. Brother Carlson told me when he booked me, you know, bring your wife if you like, we'll blah, 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 we'll help you out, you know, with the ticket. No, we can't, we can't both come. So, and they're not even school going on now, but he's still bringing those boys by the house when he goes to work. And I'm not sure it'd be smart to leave two 12-year-olds at the house alone all day. <laughs> 
So we're still kind of limited on that. So what are we doing? Well, the Brandon McKinnon started a ministry. He calls it IMSI, International Mission Stations Incorporated. It's an NGO, a non-government organization. And the purpose of an NGO is primarily humanitarian aid. So we're taking a lot of heat now because we're into humanitarian aid instead of the gospel. And they always tell stories about, you know, how Salvation Army used to preach the gospel and now they don't anymore. And I understand all that, so I, I, I heed the warning signs, okay? But our primary purpose is getting the gospel in all the world. Amen. And this NGO has opened the doors to countries that we would not be able to get into without the NGO. Ukraine is an example. God gave us 165 acres in Ukraine before the war broke out, and Brother Brandon got the NGO paperwork approved for Ukraine before the war broke out, so that when the war did break out and we rented nine vans and got nine Romanian drivers to drive the vans, load them, take them into Ukraine, unload them, come back out, reload them, drive in again. There were two lines. One line was for people trying to enter the country of Ukraine for whatever reason. The other line was for NGOs who had humanitarian aid paperwork. The line for regular people was three days long. Seventy-two hours to cross the border after you get in line. The NGO line was 30 minutes. So we're able to go in, unload, come out, reload, go across again, go in and out, and seeing these same people in line for three days. And God's just letting us go in there, take food, medicine, chick tracks. Fox News had a picture of a Ukrainian little boy who was reading the chick track. I blew that thing up. In the back of it said Shady Acres Baptist Church. I'm talking about getting the gospel in all the world. Amen. We're getting people involved now from other countries. Brother Abe's friend, Brother Troy, has gotten involved with IMSI. And he's all excited. He, he, he went to Romania. He's come to our training program. We have people go through a training conference before they go to a foreign country because there's a certain etiquette in going to a foreign country that you need to have. You know, uh, you may not do things in another country the way you would do it in your country. So we have a training program so that people won't offend people and not even know they're being offensive. For example, we had a pastor that went with us one time to Germany and we're in this, these people are fixing this meal for us in the place where we're staying and uh, there were 40 of us, 35 or 40 of us in there eating a meal and this pastor that went with us, I heard him say, what? You're going to charge me for a refill on my Coke? We don't pay for refills. They said, sir, you do in Germany. Well, that's crazy. He never went back with us anywhere. When you're in another country, you don't have verbal outbursts about the way they do things. Yeah. You would think that would be common sense. You would think that would just be the Christian thing to do. Right? So we have a training program and we go over some things like that so that hopefully we don't ever have that problem again. Well, I don't like the way this food tastes. You're in a foreign country. It's going to taste different than what you're used to. So you bow your head. You ask the blessing. 
and you eat it whether you like it or not. Even if you decide not to eat it, it will be taken as being rude. So you just eat it. Well, I'm not doing that. That's a good thing to know. If you can't operate that way, you don't need to be going to a foreign country as a representative of Jesus Christ and the gospel. If you can't make that kind of a sacrifice, stay home. Your wife will bring you your coffee every morning, you little sissy. Esther had a decision to make. And she came to this conclusion. When her uncle said, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And the point of this answering this question is, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? You have opportunities your parents never had. You have opportunities your grandparents never had. And God has you in the right place at the right time to get the gospel to the regions beyond. You say, well, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to do if I got over. We'll take care of that. We'll show you what you need to do. Mostly what you need to do is ask the host pastor, what do you want us to do? Be a servant. Whatever they ask you to do, I'll do my best. You may not even know how to do what they ask you to do. You may not know the language. Do, I'll do my best. I've encouraged people to start learning a foreign language. Get a passport, start learning a foreign language. Well, I don't, how do I know which one I need to learn? Doesn't matter. Just start learning. You can get Duolingo on your phone. I now have a four-year streak doing lessons every day for over four years. And I still can't speak Spanish. <laughs> I am a slow learner. I recommend you start young. Don't wait till you're 65 to start learning a foreign language. But if you are 65, cheer up. You can join me. And we'll fail together and encourage each other. The problem when you're in your 60s and you're trying to learn a foreign language, I knew it yesterday, what happened overnight? It's like starting over again every day. So I work on Spanish, I work on Romanian, I work on Ukrainian because it's at least good if you can say, Agua, por favor. Water, please. Or, danke. I'm learning German too. Thank you. Just learn the basics in several languages. Languages are like musical instruments. Every one you learn makes the next one easier to learn. Because now you've got a foundation to build on. Be willing to learn some languages. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And here's Esther's conclusion in verse 16. And if I perish, I perish. Okay, Uncle Mordecai, I'll go in. But I hadn't been asked to come in. But I'm willing to risk my life to save the Jewish people. My wife goes to Israel every year and she'll send me a text message and she'll say, I'm watching the missiles coming in from Syria and they're exploding in the air. She said, I guess they're hitting what they call the Iron Dome. That's where they destroy the incoming missiles with Patriot missiles or whatever kind of missiles they're intercepting them with. She said, it's like a giant 4th of July. She said, it's wonderful. It's She's on the balcony of the hotel where she's staying, watching these giant fireworks of missiles being destroyed in the sky. 
I mean, that's got to be right up there with the northern lights for amazing. You have the opportunity to go see such a thing. We have a ministry with there in Israel. I told I mentioned it already. But uh, my wife's dream is to win somebody to Jesus Christ in Israel that will either be one of the 144,000 or maybe have a son who is one of the 144,000. She said, I'd just like to be in heaven knowing I had a part in that guy that's preaching the gospel as one of the 144,000. That's a pretty lofty dream. But that's her dream and she's not giving it up. She's going to win as many as she can by the grace of God who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Pharmacy wanting me to come pick up my medicine. Sorry, I'm indisposed. <laughs> yes, you've got to be willing to inconvenience yourself. Yes, you might have to buy your own plane ticket. Sometimes we buy them for people. Sometimes we don't have the money to buy them for people. We do what we can as the money comes in. When the war broke out in Ukraine, we took up an offering on a Sunday night, raised $64,000 in a Sunday night service to get us started on feeding and housing over 3,000 Ukrainian refugees. And I think I've already mentioned they're now in Denmark. But it took us over a year to get that done. It's just a lot of work. It's a long process to get refugees into another country. But they all got the gospel. Some got saved. Not as many as we would like. But we're trying to do our part. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time is this. Is this your opportunity to make a difference somewhere in the world? We're doing this in Romania. We're doing this in Ukraine. We're doing this in Paraguay. We're doing this in Bogota, Colombia. We built a, a three or four story building for a school in Bogota, Colombia. My wife had a ladies' meeting there. In the first week she had her first ladies' meeting, she had 37 women saved who had children in that school. So many got saved that a Colombian national that we've known for 30 years started a church because 37 women got saved in a ladies' retreat. And they started bringing their kids to this new church. And they've got a growing, thriving church in Bogota. That's kind of backwards. You, normally you build a church and then you build a Christian school, right? Well, we built a Christian school that produced a church. You don't have to do it like everybody else does it. Sometimes God gets out of the box that people put Him in and just does something and you think, oh wow, here's an opportunity to build a church. And so that ministry is growing and prospering. Ladies often ask me in missions conferences, you know, when I get through preaching, they say, well, what can we do? And I'll give them examples of what my wife's doing. And she will soon be 70 She has back spasms, heart atrial fibrillation, and sometimes the airplane ride 
If it's Israel especially, that's a long one. Paraguay is a long one. Sometimes that aggravates the back spasms. Sometimes it aggravates the heart thing because the altitude and the cabin pressure and all that stuff. Well, aren't you afraid that you'll have a heart attack and die? No. I think we want to go to heaven, right? I mean, that's still real, right? So you're going to lay home and wait till you die? Who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Do it now. You say, I'm too old. No, you're not. You say, I'm too young. No, you're not. We got teenagers over there in Romania. Right now. Having the time of their life. They love going over there. One young guy loved it so much he found him a wife over there. I said, now, what's the plan here? He said, uh, well, over here it takes about three years to get the paperwork to leave Romania to go to another country. He said, so I'll just be living over here until all that gets worked out. He said, I'll just help out with the ministry here. I'll just be able to help full time. Isn't that a blessing? Yeah, yeah, that sounds like that's a blessing. You go for it, man. I'm for you. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And I'm done. Thank you for the warning. One more question. You want to write this one? Another missions question. What are the three characteristics of a great missions giver? Again, what are the three characteristics of a great missions giver? We find the answer to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The book of, um, the book of 2 Corinthians has the only place in the New Testament that three consecutive chapters are devoted to one subject. And that subject is the grace of giving to get the gospel to the regions beyond. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. The only time in the Bible three consecutive chapters deal with one subject. Missions. Giving to get the gospel to the regions beyond. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Here are the three characteristics of a great missions giver. You've got to remember, he, he says the churches of Macedonia. The churches of Macedonia were built because Paul saw in a vision a man that said, come over and help us. He was a man of Macedonia. Come over and help us. They didn't have any churches. They needed some churches. Paul took a team of men, went over there, and began to preach the gospel in Philippi, that's in Macedonia, Thessalonica, that's in Macedonia, and the great churches of the New Testament that he wrote letters to came as a result of this call that he had to take the gospel to Macedonia. So these Macedonians not only built churches, but they became the 2,000 year example of how to give to missions. Even though they didn't even have any churches to start with. So you see, you're way ahead of the Macedonians. There's no telling what you can do. What are those three characteristics? Number one, a great trial of affliction. The word affliction means pain of the mind or body that never goes away. If we say someone is afflicted, that means they're on crutches, they're in a wheelchair, we may say they've been injured or they've had an accident and they may heal up and get well. But if we say they're afflicted, they're not going to get well. 
I don't care if they go see Benny Hinn. They're not getting out of that wheelchair. <laughs> Benny Hinn couldn't cure a ham. <laughs> Affliction. Affliction is an asset if you want to get the gospel in all the world. You say, how could that be? Because if you hurt bad enough, money doesn't matter. Amen. Job said it like this, Yea, all that a man hath will he give. For his skin. So you will give money generously, sacrificially, if you hurt bad enough for yourself. So why can't we give sacrificially to get the gospel to somewhere in the world to keep somebody out of hell forever? A great trial of affliction. Pain of the mind or body. You know there's people when I preach conferences nowadays in the congregation, everywhere I go, that have pain in their mind over something that happened to them a long time ago. And they're still hurting every day. We have a lady in our church who aborted a baby when she was a young woman. And if I ever mention abortion in a message, she just, she weeps and cries and just can't stand it that she aborted her baby when she was a young woman. She lives with that pain of her mind every single day. It never ends. But people who hurt make great givers because the pain makes everything else either unimportant or magnified in importance. So she is a great giver to missions. We had a lady, she's in heaven now, who was in a wheelchair ever, ever since I'd been at the church, Miss Betty. Miss Betty was in a wheelchair. She was in an accident when she was a young woman. And it left her paralyzed from the waist down and, and her hands curled like this. And her husband left her when he realized she was going to be handicapped for the rest of her life. She lived out her life alone in an apartment in a wheelchair. And somebody from our church would go over to her apartment every morning, get her dressed, help her get a bath, make sure she had some food. And she'd sit in church, and if I got to preaching something, she'd start getting a blessing, she'd go, And if I took up an offering for Ukraine, and I said, who wants to give a thousand? I see you, Miss Betty. That's a great missions giver. All she needed was money for groceries and rent. That's all she cared about. She tithed. She gave to missions. If we took up a special offering, she might not get in for a thousand, but she'd get in for a hundred if she had it. Great missions giver. People say, how does that church give a million dollars a year to missions? We got people like Miss Betty who lives with pain. We got people like, I won't call the other lady's name, 
who aborted a baby when she was a young woman and lives with that pain every day. She sells wigs to people who take chemotherapy. If they can't afford a wig, she just gives them a wig because she wants them to feel better about themselves. That's a great missions giver. Whew. We had a lady living in government housing because her income was so low. When we were building our current auditorium, Brother Wood was a pastor at that time, she inherited a piece of land in East Texas. And we, Brother Wood wanted to build that building debt free. We had run out of money. We didn't have money to buy materials. She inherited this piece of land, had a little house on it. She could have moved up there, lived in that house, not had to pay any more rent. But she said God laid it on her heart to give that property to help finish that building. She just stayed in her government housing. I don't remember now the amount. I think it was over $100,000. We went right back to work on that building. I'm talking about giving. 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 That lady's also in heaven tonight. Sister Barbara. Great, great Christian Great spirit, great heart. I never go in that building and look around when we're having service that I don't think about the lady that gave all she had to get this done. And I think about the widow's might that Jesus said she gave more than you all. Mm. Yes, the first one is a great trial of affliction. The second one is the abundance of their joy. If you're going to be a great missions giver, you can't whine and moan about your affliction. How are you doing? Oh, let me tell you. No. If you want to be a great missions giver, you got, when somebody says, how are you doing? Say, I'm saved and on my way to heaven. Amen. Things are good. I'm not saying you can't ever talk about your aches and pains to your friends and your prayer partners and all that kind of stuff. But you know, with some people, it's just a habit. If they get an opportunity to talk, talk about how miserable they are, they love it. But if you want to be a great missions giver, you've got to be able to shout when you're hurting you got to be able to praise the Lord when your heart's broken. Life's going to deal you some blows. You're going to have some heartaches and heartbreaks. Rise above them. Amen. Give God the glory. Amen. He doeth all things well. All things still work together for good. Them that love God who are the called according to His purpose. And to get the gospel in all the world. Yes, you're going to hurt at times. Sometimes you're going to hurt your whole life, but you just keep giving and you keep going and you keep saying, here am I, what can I do to get the gospel to the regions beyond? The abundance of their joy. Oh, blessed is the church full of joy. Even while all these circumstances may be going to hell in a handbasket, but you can come to the house of God with joy in your heart and praise the Lord and give a faith promise mission offering to get the gospel to somebody somewhere in the world that has no preacher, has no missionary, unless somebody gives and somebody goes and somebody prays. The third mark of a great missions giver is deep poverty. 
That will eliminate some of you. Because you got too much money to be qualified as deep poverty. But the great givers are the broke people. You know why that's true? Let's just imagine for a minute that the Spirit of God just comes in like a cloud into this service while I'm talking about missions. We're just imagining now, okay? And he comes in here and he says, I want you to give every penny you have to missions today. Every penny in your pocket, every penny in your purse, every penny in your bank account, every penny in your investment accounts. I'm talking about every penny you got. We're just disposing. I'm not about to take up an offering. Don't panic. <laughs> We're just supposing that the Spirit of God would come in here and it would be like it was in the first century and they were bringing their houses and their land and laying the money at the apostles' feet so they could get the gospel throughout Jerusalem. And so let's just suppose that the Spirit of God said, let's give it all. Now, who would have the easiest time with that? The person with two dollars or the person with two million dollars? Oh, I know people that could throw two dollars in there and just shout to victory. Be every dime they had. They wouldn't care. Gary Lutrick, he's notorious for that. He rode with me to White Plains one time. I had a little diesel Ford Escort, got 47 miles to the gallon. So we drove it to, from Houston to White Plains, me and Gary Luttrell. We got there and one night the Lord moved in there and they took up an offering and service was over and he said, glory to God, wasn't that a service? <laughs> yeah, that was a good one, Brother Gary. He said, I gave all my money in that offering. Did you? I said, no. I kept something to work. Why didn't you give it all? I said, me or you one got to have some money to buy diesel to get back home. And I knew you. I knew you'd give all yours away, so I hung on to some so I could buy diesel to get back to Houston. So he got all the blessings of giving everything away, and I had to have some discipline and keep some so I could get home because I didn't want to spend the next 30 years in White Plains with Gary Lutrick. <laughs> he didn't have any trouble at all giving every penny he had in that offering. But I struggled with that. So I didn't do it. My point is, people who live in poverty are not as attached to money as people who have money. So the third mark of a great missions giver is not just poverty, but deep poverty. So the churches that give to missions primarily are not the big rich churches. Because the big rich churches always need to build bigger barns to house all their goats. But the small churches have a building built, still got plenty of room, plenty of parking spaces, not having to build more buildings. That frees up some money for missions. Amen. You don't have to have a building fund all the time. You don't have to have... Whatever other kind of fund all the time. Amen. Amen. You can just tie and give a faith promise to missions and focus on getting the gospel in all the world. Amen. I'm not against churches growing. I think it's a good thing. But your priority has to be getting the gospel in all the world. That's got to be your priority. If you'll make that your priority, you'll be amazed how your church will grow. Because there are some people who are looking to get involved in a church that's making a difference Amen. in all the world. I could talk about 
<clears throat> Ukraine for hours. I could talk about Romania for hours. I could talk about Paraguay for hours. I got stories I could tell about Bogota, Colombia. How that they had rioting and looting in their streets similar to what we had in the States for a while. And between the school building and the apartment where the man that runs the school lives, the streets were full of rioters. Well, this man's retired colonel in the Colombian Air Force. And he organized the people in the apartment project that he lived in. And they all stood and had, had fences around the apartments and gates. And he got everybody, all the men, to come out there and line up around the fence of the apartment project with bricks. So that if the looters tried to come into the apartment project, they were going to attack them. The looters just went right on by. Was it the bricks? Or was it the Lord? All I can tell you is, they didn't bother the apartments, and there was nobody at the school with bricks. And they did not bother the school building. You get all in in God's business, God will get all in on your business. And I mean that literally about your business, too. How does Shady Acres Baptist Church give so much to missions? Oh, I've been preaching to them for 45 years that if you know enough to make money for somebody else, you know enough to make even more for yourself. If you're a get up and go guy, start your own business. If you'll have your own business, you're giving God an opportunity to grow that thing so you can do so much more Amen. for missions as God blesses your business. The illustration's R.G. Letourneau who started giving 10% tithe and he was 350000 in debt in the 20s, Great Depression time. And then he started Caterpillar. Started, he made God his partner. He said he wouldn't make a decision without asking his partner. What do you think I should do about this? He started keeping 10% and giving God 90%. And got filthy rich on 10%. Read a book about him sometime. It's a fascinating story. Or just Google it. And you can get the details. How much he owed. How much he made year by year by year. And where he ended up making millions every year. And only taking 10% of it. Giving 90% to the Lord. The fields are wide under harvest. The laborers are few. Would you be a laborer? Would you like to have a part in going to some foreign country and carrying the gospel? Well, is it safe? Esther said, if I perish, I perish. It's the most common question that I get asked about going to a foreign country. Is it safe? I live in Houston. Is that safe? No. Doesn't matter. It's the will of God for my life. If I perish, I perish. But if I perish, I want to perish doing my best to get the gospel in all the world. Would you pray? And ask the Lord? Hey, do you have me in the kingdom for such a time as this? Do you have a job for me? We have people in Romania today who are there who have their own businesses. He just took off a week, took a vacation to go teach vacation Bible school to fifth grade and below in Romania. And they're having the time of their life. Jump in. The water's fine. 
Don't stand at the edge and say, they look like they're really having fun, but that water looks cold. I'm not sure I want to get in there. My cousins and I used to, we used to make fun of the city cousins that would come visit us. We'd go swimming, you know, like country boys go swimming. And we'd be having the time of our lives and they'd say, ooh, there's some moths over there. Are there any snakes in there? Are there any snapping turtles in there? And we're just splashing and laughing and having a big time. Quit thinking about what could happen and think about what could happen. Father, bless the message. Touch somebody's heart. Give them a vision. For with theirs, there's no vision. The people perish. Help them to see. Help them to go. Help them to work. Help them to pray. Help them to give so we can get the gospel in all the world. It's such a time as this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.